for listening to the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture. In honor of my guest today, I am your host, Anders Applebaum, and that special guest is Anders Hedberg. Few have had more impact on hockey in both Europe and North America as both a player and in management than Anders Hedberg. After his breakthrough as a star of the Swedish national team at just 18 years of age in 1970, Anders became a true hockey pioneer by crossing the Atlantic Ocean to play 11 seasons in North America, four for the Winnipeg Jets of the World Hockey Association and seven for the New York Rangers of the National Hockey League. After retiring, Anders pivoted to hockey scouting and management positions, including eight years with our very own Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1990s. Anders' outstanding hockey career has seen him inducted into the Winnipeg Jets Hall of Fame, the Swedish Hockey Hall of Fame, and the International Ice Hockey Federation Hall of Fame. Good dog, Anders. Welcome to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Good dog. <laughs> That's Swedish. So you're doing all right. I'm in a suburb of Stockholm called Leidinge, but very close. And as you know, Stockholm is the capital of Sweden. Absolutely. Now, we're going to talk all about your background and your whole story, but let's jump right into two current stories that have a Swedish connection, and more importantly, an Anders Hedberg connection. The first story is that today is day four of the extended Hockey Hall of Fame celebration weekend, which culminates with tonight's induction of six new members. Amazingly, half of this year's inductees are Swedish, Daniel Alfredsson and the twins, Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Can you please comment, Anders, on your countrymen? The Sedins are actually from uh, my hometown. It's uh, it's called Dangersvik. It's a city of 25,000 people. Uh, the area, about 50. And they're just as crazy about hockey as the mainstream a prairie uh, Canadian city or, uh, somebody, or somewhere in Quebec where they just love the game. So that's where the Sedin comes from. I, I know them. I don't know them well, but I know them, obviously, and I certainly know about them, but I know their parents very well <laughs> because uh, uh, their mother went, we went to the same high school uh, and same age, and their father is two years older than me, I think, and we played hockey against each other, soccer against each other, hockey at the same team, and soccer on the same team. So I know them. I know their background very well. And Daniel Alfredson, uh, I was director of play personnel in Ottawa for three or four years uh, in the middle of 2000, and which means I, I certainly know him very well. He's, he's from Gothenburg or the suburbs of Gothenburg, but I, I know Daniel very well. Well, it's a, it's a big weekend for Sweden, for sure. The second story that's very topical is despite incredible physical challenges brought on by ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, Toronto Maple Leaf legend Borea Salming flew from Sweden with his family to join the Hockey Hall of Fame festivities in Toronto. Salming was the first Swedish-born player inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame and remains the highest-scoring defenseman in Maple Leaf's history, on Friday night, he was honored, along with other Maple Leafs, in the Hockey Hall of Fame, including Daryl Sittler, Lanny McDonald, Matt Sundin. And on Saturday, he alone was honored in a tremendous show of gratitude and support from the fans in Toronto. In particular, it was extremely touching to see his captain, 
Daryl Sittler get very emotional, as emotional as all of us fans felt. On a personal note, Anders, I grew up with Borea Salming as my all-time favorite Toronto Maple Leafs. I would appreciate you talking about your relationship with Borea Salming and what he means to you and the country of Sweden. You know, I, I, I've watched the same uh, sequence on Swedish television. Uh, people have sent it to me on on Facebook and so forth. And it was incredibly touching. Um, somebody asked me if I wanted to say in a Swedish paper. I said, no, I don't want to say. I just want to hide Borea. We go back. Do I know Borea really well? Well, we're the same age. We played on the Junior Nationals. We played two Canada Cup together. We played one or two World Championships together. When Borea finished in North America, I was the manager of the team. I recruited him back to Sweden to play for ARK, where he stayed and played and finished his career. This is, this is late 80s, early 90s. Do I know him? And this is incredibly, incredibly touching. I have not talked to Borea since I got the news. Last time I talked to him, hoped it was about a half a year ago, of a totally different thing. Sweden is celebrating the 100 years of Swedish Ice Hockey Federation uh, soon. And I've talked to Inge Hammerstrom. I've talked to his brother, Stigge. I've talked to a lot of other people. I have not talked to Borea, but... Next time I see him, I'll see him. I'll give him a long, long hug. I tell you, it's it's very touching. I was, uh, you know, so personally pleased that he was able to come to Toronto and see how everyone feels about him. And I can see that you feel about him the same way. I do want to go back, all the way back, and get the Anders Hedberg story. Where were you born? And describe your upbringing, please. Just like the Sedins, we were born in the area Anschlussvik. Uh, I had uh, not the same little village, but I had an ice rink in my backyard. I had an outdoor ice rink, a full size, 300 meters from where I lived. Modo, where the Sedins played, and I eventually played as a 16-year-old. Year old, I came there. It was 900 meters from an, from my house. So hockey was incredibly important. And at the same time, there was no, I mean, to play pro, no, but to play for Modo uh, and play in the top league was also the, the I mean, and, and the national team. Hockey was very important. And we played half my 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 classmates played hockey until 12 13 14 whatever and so did i and i played soccer in the summer i guess i was a promising athlete i could have yeah i was a promising i could have picked soccer just as well as hockey but hockey was the thing in in Auschwitz. and my parents my dad was not interested in in sports at all my mother and I had an older brother, two years older than me. He was just as crazy as I was. And my mother was supporting us for whatever we wanted to do. But we had to look after our schooling. Uh, my brother ended up being a, a doctor. I, and I ended up being a hockey guy. But at least I had finished my college education and my, my, my uh, university education before I went to North America. 
because I had a degree at that time because that was a request from my parents. You honored your parents. As you stated, you got your education before you pursued your hockey dreams. Now, Anders, you were a true pioneer. You and forward Ulf Nielsen left Sweden to join the Winnipeg Jets in 1974. You were among the first European players to make a major impact in North America, helping the Winnipeg Jets win two AFCO Cups as champions of the WHA in 1976 and 1978. Please tell us a story. How did you end up coming across to Winnipeg? The first time uh, somebody, and, and I had never been in North America. This is sort of years where the question of amateur pros uh, was was an issue. And in, in Europe, we were so-called amateurs and North America, the NHL, were pros. So there was no interaction. And, it, and the International Ice Hockey Federation was sort of in, in a kind of a, a fight or arguments. But I played my first World Championship here in Stockholm, 1970. Canada didn't participate because of that reason. Uh, but after the, uh, the, the, the championship or Euring, I got a phone call from Vancouver Canucks and said uh, if, they were, if I were interested in coming to North America. And uh, quite honestly, I had not even, not even crossed my mind. And basically I said, no, I, I can't because I finished my school. And then it rolled on and now we're into... 1972 World Championship in Prague. Canada was still not participating. Uh, and I was sitting with Alan Eagleson that came over. He was the head of the Player Association with Tommy Bergman. And we were discussing of going to North America. I belonged to Toronto and, and Tommy belonged to Detroit. And uh, Tommy went. He was a little older than me. He was done with his, his studies. And basically, uh, I, I didn't because I, wasn't fin I had finished my, my, uh, my degree. And now we're into this, the fall of 72. Swedish Nationals plays Team Canada 72 here in, in Stockholm on their, way, on their way to Moscow after they played two games or four games in, in uh, North America. And uh, it was two games. Uh, I think one game was tied and the other game Canada won with one or two goals, but it certainly wasn't a blow away. And that's when basically I said, if this is, if this is the best Canada have, I think I'm going to make a living out of this mm. because I had played against the, the Russians many times and when so we were pretty even, they were a little bit better than us, but not, I mean, it was very tight games every, every time. And Tommy went to Detroit, Tommy Bergman went to Detroit, right in the lineup, no farm club, nothing, just played. And then the following year, Inge Hammerstrom and Borea went to Toronto. And I was at school. And at my school, it was a exchange program. Uh, and a doctor from Winnipeg, his name was Jerry Wilson, came to my school. And I was his number one guinea pig in physiology of ice hockey. And I became uh, obviously a good friend of, of, of Jerry. And he had been, as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, a pro in Montreal Canadiens. But because of injury, he had to sort of finish his career very early and became a doctor. And he called Winnipeg. And he was a team doctor with Winnipeg Jets. He called the Jets very early that season, 73-74, and said, 
you guys just have the comment. We have guys, they can play. So that's how it started with me, uh, Ulf Nilsson and Lars Erik Schoberg, our captain with the national team, of us being kind of introduced to, to the Winnipeg hockey scene. Uh, and at the same time, I had an offer then at, after the season to, and I was, I was not drafted. We were listed for different NHL teams, and I was listed for Toronto. So I actually had a better offer to go to Toronto than go to Winnipeg with the Lars Eric and, and Ulf. But we kind of decided together, ah, we'll go to Winnipeg and see how that will work out. I had never been to North America. Um, I was 20, I was 23 at the time. Uh, finished my education. My English was fine, kind of, you know. And I could have, I mean, uh, Ing and Bori was already in Toronto. So I knew if they can make it, I think I can make it too. Either <laughs> or, doesn't make any difference. Absolutely. And, and you know, Anders, I, it could not have been easy for you to leave your home, go across the world to live and play hockey in North America. Talk about the culture shock of leaving Sweden to come to Winnipeg. Now, in, in terms of lifestyles, Canada and Sweden are very similar. If you're, uh, if you're a Canadian, you live in Toronto or in Winnipeg, you can easily move and live in Sweden. And, and that was the same of coming to uh, North America. No major problem. We just smooth. I, I, uh, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she was done with her schooling too. And so she came along and we moved right into the Winnipeg uh, and they looked after us terrifically. No, no hassle, no problems. So in that respect, and we, we were incredibly privileged because we came to a, a Winnipeg Jets and I mean, the management said, we think you're going to play with Bobby Hall, me and Ulf. And Ulf and I hadn't played much together either because we play for different clubs here in Sweden. So they said, well, we think you're going you're to play with Bobby Hall. And I had heard about Bobby Hall, Gordie Hall, Sean Belleville. And obviously I knew that Borea and, and Inge and Tommy was in, in North America already. And, and Ulf and I said, well, we'll see how that worked out. I mean, who knows if we're going to play with Bobby, if that, would, if that would fit or not. But it did. <laughs> it, it, from the first practice, it was unbelievable. We made some adjustment, Bobby made some adjustment, and suddenly it wasn't two guys or one guy. It was actually three guys that somehow the the um, antennas were up. We complemented each other. Uh, we were different generation, totally different backgrounds, total big, total different history of of many ways, but it worked. And Winnipeg as a team and as a city embraced us incredibly. We felt, we felt at home very, very early. And we had a social network through Jerry Wilson, who I mentioned before, had been the, here in Stockholm at my school on an exchange program uh, on, on hockey physiology. And our lawyer, Don Baisley, with their social networks, it was very easy and very pleasant and lots of fun. 
Boy, did it ever work. Because Anders, as a right winger, nicknamed the Swedish Express, you played with Ulf Nielsen and Bobby Hall on the hotline. What was Bobby Hall's advice to you? Uh, remember, this is the years where the, the Philadelphia Flyers, the Broadstreet Bullies, had their saying, if you can't beat them on the ice, beat them in the alley. <laughs> and, and the WHA certainly was maybe more, more that type of league than Toronto or, or the NHL in many ways. But Bobby, Bobby, basically, whatever you do, guys, don't change. Just stick to your game. And, and we had incredible support from him in the way we played. We adjusted, obviously, you had to adjust. But he also adjusted to our style. And in terms of the fighting, I mean, I had never even thought that you would fight on an, on an ice. It, it had never even crossed my mind that it, it was possible. Did I learn to fight? No. Did I learn how to protect myself? Yes. Uh, and you learn very quickly because you had no choice. Yeah. Uh, and you had, if you were afraid, physically afraid, you had no chance. Yeah. Just go back home. I mean, there, there was no... And Ulf and I, we were not physically physical at all, but we weren't afraid. We yeah. went into the hard areas, and Bobby encouraged us, and we had full support of him, and eventually for the rest of the team, because we were really... Basically, the team said, these guys can play. They're going to help us win. And in yeah. the end, that's the name of the game. Absolutely. As you say, Bobby Hall told you, just play. You don't have to slash back or hit back or fight. Just skate and play and think. You obviously did, Anders. 1975, you were named the WHA Rookie of the Year. In four WHA seasons, you had 458 points in 286 games. Subsequently, you and Alf Nielsen jumped to the NHL to play for the New York Rangers in 1978. This was a $2.5 million deal that saw you score almost 400 points in your NHL career. Talk about your transition from Winnipeg in the WHA to New York City and the NHL. Well, we, we became, because we were never drafted, we were only listed. So we became, through our lawyer and through the, yeah, through the lawyer actually, and the, the, law, the, uh, the laws in the United States, the first unrestricted free agents in hockey, me and Ulf. So we had offers from, and our contracts ran out in Winnipeg. We had offers from every NHL club. We disqualified, and, and at the time, I, I can't remember if it was 12 teams or 14 teams or 16 teams in the, in the National League. Uh, we dis, sort of disqualified two or three or four because of said, no, we don't want to go there. So we had offers from all the other teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. And in the end, we decided to go to, uh, to uh, New York. To, and we were going to, together, same deal, same contract, same everything, and we were going to go as a package. And we were encouraged by Bobby. At the, and Bobby couldn't come because he belonged to Chicago. He couldn't. Mm-hmm. He was dying to uh, join us, but that, would, that was impossible because of the rules. So we ended up in New York in terms of the games, no difference. I mean, basically the same thing in Winnipeg. And I couldn't say it at the time. That was impossible. And the first year we went to New York, uh, 
we actually went to the finals. We got beaten by uh, the Montreal Canadiens, and they were better than us. But we were in the finals. But the last year in Winnipeg, the year before, 78, 77, 78, we actually had a better team in Winnipeg than we had in New York. I wow. couldn't. You couldn't say that. That was impossible. But hmm. that's, that's, and the game, no big difference. I mean, hey, it's the same, same game, same rings, same size. Most of them, of uh, most of the players were Canadians at the time, at the time, a few Americans, but no big difference. And how much did you love playing in New, in New York City, Madison Square Garden? Uh, <laughs> it's, I mean, New York is New York, and at the time, the, the blue seats were on the top. Those were the cheaper seats, and uh, today they're probably $100 or $150. At the time, they were 28 or whatever. <laughs> so th- those were the blue-collar uh, people of, of, of New York, and it, they were loud, and they were enthusiastic. The Wall Street People were sitting uh, in the front seats, just they are in in Toronto today, and and even going back those years probably. But I lived in New York seven years in New York, uh, enjoyed every second of it. It was a wonderful city. We lived outside in a suburb similar to Richmond Hill or or whatever around Toronto. So in that respect. I'm former family. I got three kids. They're all born in, in New York. Oh wow! Uh, do you think we were doing all right? Yes, the answer is we were doing all right. <laughs> That's great. The Toronto Legends podcast is powered by the Henderson Brewing Company, a locally owned, award-winning neighborhood brewery that celebrates Toronto's stories and culture, just like this podcast. As the days get shorter, for a limited time, you can enjoy their gold medal-winning export stout. Available now at their tap room and retail store at 128A Sterling Road along the West Toronto Rail Path. Or order now at hendersonbrewing.com. Henderson Brewing and the Toronto Legends Podcast, a great local partnership. Well, Anders, after you retired as a player, you worked for various organizations, including the New York Rangers, the Ottawa Senators, the Swedish National Team Program. But of most interest to us here in Toronto, you worked in scouting and player development for the Maple Leafs, from 1991 to 99. What can you tell us about your experience working for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, this this is, um, I went back and managed the first team in the Swedish league uh, uh, here. I'd worked in, in New York for a year or two after my playing career. And my, my the manager there was Craig, Craig Patrick. And he was let go. And I was, my contact ran out so we were sort of tug of war. Should we stay around North America uh, or should we go back to Sweden? And my wife probably, I mean, we were, we lived seven years in the same house. We kind of, my wife almost said, let's stay around here. We're, we're doing fine. I got offers then from Sweden and I pursued, I guess, her and the family, the kids were too small or moving back to Sweden. But, and I've been back in Sweden for one year and Craig Patrick then got the job in Pittsburgh as the manager. So he calls me and says, Anders, I want you to come over and be my assistant. Ooh, I was kind of, I, we just had, you know, uh, adjusted the kids for uh, the oldest one were starting school. And I said, I just can't, after one year, you have to give me a, a, a you have to give me, I can't do it. That's impossible. 
and I, at the same time, actually, I was working in the bank because I wanted to see if I wanted to do something different or could do anything different than being in hockey. But after after four years, I said, oh, I, I can't do both. I mean, I was never home. I was a terrible father. I will, if I weren't in the office in the, in the bank, I was at a game, weekends, scouting, hockey, practice, because it was one of the lead teams here in Stockholm. And I said, no, I have to, it has to be hockey. So then Cliff Fletcher had just gotten the job in Toronto. And I got a call from Cliff and he said, Anders, I want you to work uh, as a scout for me in, in Europe. And I didn't know Cliff, but I flew over. Uh, and my lawyer in Winnipeg, Don Basley, had known Cliff for years. And we hit off. I said, yeah, no problem. I'll call, I'll join you. This is going to be fun. So I'll joined uh, Cliff. I think he, I, I think I was the first guy he hired actually after coming to Toronto mm. um, as his European scout. And we all, I mean, they didn't have one prior. Uh, so I was the first at that time. I don't even think every team had uh, NHL scouts. So I, I joined in. And it became uh, uh, just a terrific, terrific relationship, uh, I have to say. Cliff was a very good boss. Very good boss. Well, he's, he's still beloved here because he gave us our best shot. And we made so much great progress. Anders, in your time working with the Leafs, did you work with Bill Waters? And if so, you probably have some good stories. <laughs> oh, oh, they were... Yeah, Bill and Cliff... Oh, they were they were good. There was no boring moments when you go around <laughs> that office. And and this is also remember early internet times. So and I think I was more advanced in the uh, in the uh, in that area than than Cliff or Bill. So uh, they had every morning they had somebody coming in very early to sort of clips from all the, the North American papers or the, the Toronto papers. So when they arrived in the office at nine o'clock or whatever time, they got a, a bunch of clips, whatever had been written of the Maple Leaf in the, in the, uh, in the papers. So, uh, so they had to go through there, come through what, whatever, what's saying, what's the rumors, what, what do we have to sort of adjust to this today, especially in, in, in Toronto and the media landscape. So if I call in at 9.15, they, they had just started to go through that. I had already read it on the, on the internet. They could not figure out, and especially <laughs> not Bill, could not figure out, how the hell do you know this? I mean, you're sitting in Stockholm. How do you know that this is in the, in the, in the Post or the Global Mail? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. So I, was, I had wonderful conversations, both with Bill and Cliff and, <laughs> and, and well prepared for those discussions, whatever had been in the papers in Toronto. You, you were the magic man, clearly. Now, another uh, legend, one from here, George Armstrong, legendary Leaf. Uh, did you work with George at all? He was still employed as a scout, not very active, but incredibly respected within our staff and within our club. And I, I have to say, he was so thoughtful 
he was careful. He was doing he was doing scouting then, and very interested to see that the Maple Leafs were signing and drafting the right players. And as I was as kind of still an outsider, I mean. He hadn't worked with Europeans or, or seen players, except now Borja was in, in uh, Toronto and there was some other Swedish players sort of circulating in the league. He showed me a, a respect of allowing me to have a clear opinion about players and respected my voice. And he became a very, very good teammate in the scouting business in Toronto with me. The other person in management that we think about during your era, the coach of the Leafs, was Pat Quinn. Any good Pat Quinn stories? Well, Pat Quinn came in later. It was Pat Burns that was the uh, the uh, uh, coach that Cliff hired, and and Pat came, if I don't re- if I don't remember wrong, came from Montreal. And and Pat was from the Ottawa area, so he he sort of the border between Quebec and and Ontario. Uh, I didn't get to know him very well, and in a sense, I didn't get to know Pat Quinn very well either, because he came in right at the end of my stay in Toronto. So I didn't know him. I got to know him, but I shouldn't say I I didn't get to know him that well, except. He was just a physically so big. When he walked into a room, there was a aura around him uh, and a respect from the people working around or or with him or under him or the players, uh, which was very impressive. Well, certainly both Pat Quinn and Pat Burns have mythical status here in Toronto. Anders, this is no time to be humble. Do you want to take credit? Was there anyone you found in your scouting that ended up becoming a Maple Leaf of note? Well, uh, <laughs> this, 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 this is, uh, this is uh, uh, I didn't scout him. Uh, he, was, he was already in North America. But the, uh, the trade of Matt Sandin, I have to, uh, I have to say this is, this is Cliff. <laughs> And we were working on this, and I was I was doing, I was doing so much research. I had seen Mats as a young player in Sweden, but I hadn't seen him. I mean, I'd seen him, but not, he was already drafted when when I uh, um, when I started. But obviously, I had seen him. I had seen him with the Swedish Nationals. I didn't know Mats, but I did a lot of homework in terms of calling people that had played with him, that had uh, been his his coaches, teammates, um, just friends. What kind of personality? What's what's inside this guy? Um, so I spent I spent a lot of time doing the groundwork and. When we traded for Mats, that was uh, a draft in in Montreal, I believe. I <laughs> I communicated a lot with Cliff. I tell you that. Yeah. So, uh, so that 
I would say not being drafted. Were I involved in that trade? You damn right I was involved <laughs> in that trade. In terms of um, of drafts, I would say play, and that was actually I had a not a conflict, but we had, certainly had a dis- disagreement of trading him away. We drafted Kenny Johnson uh, around tenth, around tenth uh, overall, and. He then came and played one or two years in Toronto. And I was actually in Czechoslovakia or in Czech Republic, as it was called at that time, scout uh, Kabrile that mm-hmm. we eventually no, I, I drafted. And I had so many discussions with Cliff on the phone because Cliff was in a, in a situation where he was thinking of trading Kenny Johnson to the Islanders for Wendell Clark. And I I could not sleep because I was writing down so many arguments why we shouldn't <laughs> make that trade. Uh, I've gotten no Wendell and I'd seen Wendell for years. But Wendell was at the end of his career and Kenny Johnson was at the beginning of his career. And I was certainly... Cliff, we can't do that. I mean, you're you're forsaking. I know short term. I know you're under pressure. I know there's expectations. When there is such a personality in Toronto, I know Cliff. But in the end, long term, we can't make that trade. And eventually, I think I can say, and I'm I'm I I know Wendell wouldn't argue with me saying Wendell, just winding up his career, coming to Toronto, and Kenny Johnson sits now up in the rafters on Long Island. Mm-hmm. So that's how it works. Um, you win some, you lose some, and, <laughs> and I'm not sure Cliff would would uh, would uh, uh, agree with that description publicly, but privately he would. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, certainly, Anders. Here in this market, as you know, sometimes we go a little too much with our heart. Not as much with our head, but that's certainly some interesting background. Of course, the Sundin trade is a huge trade in Leafs history. And as you talked about uh, Thomas Caberlet, he ended up being such a great part of Leaf teams. Unfortunately, never quite got over the hump, but he was such a great defenseman here. I want to go back a little more, if I may, to talk a little more about Sweden. After this past weekend, there are now seven Swedes in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Daniel Sedin, Henrik Sedin, Daniel Alfredson, Peter Forsberg, Nicholas Lidstrom, Matt Sundin, Borja Salming. Anders, did you ever think you would see so much representation in the Hockey Hall of Fame by the country of Sweden? I would say yes, because uh, if you go back, uh, if you go back, obviously it was a Canadian institution, it still is, and it was an NHL institution, it still is, and today it's much more an international institution. And if if uh, today it's a it's a, a much more acceptance wherever you come from. It doesn't make much difference. If you're a good player, if you deserve to be in the Hawk Hall of Fame, you should be in the Hawk Hall of Fame. And you mentioned the, the three Swedish guys coming in this year. It was also a Finnish girl that became the first female European inductee uh, into the, the hall. She, she's a Finnish national, played for the Finnish national team basically played most of her career and I think now lives in Sweden. So 
this has become the Hawk Hall of Fame in Toronto is no longer the NHL Hawk Hall of Fame. It's the Hawk Hall of Fame. Yes. And, and if, let... you, if you're the, the Hawk Hall of Fame, borders and nationalities or colors or whatever it is doesn't make much sense at all. It is whoever deserves it. Absolutely. And, and let's give a shout out to that outstanding Finn who is also being inducted tonight, Rika Salinen. Anders, I want to ask you about your hometown. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, but I'm going to give it a try. Ornskovic was a great producer of hockey talent. You've already mentioned the Sedin twins, Victor Hedman, Peter Forsberg, Mats Nasland, and of course you are all from the very same town. Is there something special about the water? Uh, that's been asked many times. <laughs> you, maybe it used to be... Uh, uh... They haven't produced as many good players lately as uh, as uh, those golden years. You forgot also Niklas Sundstrom, that was a '75 born, and 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 Marcus was '73, and Peter was '73, uh, and and uh, uh, no, I don't think so. But they they just have. It's the same as the some of the cities in 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 Canada, especially. They just love the game. There's a relationship with the game. And you had ice rinks, outdoor ice rinks, and it was more winter. Unfortunately, global warming is destroying some of those outdoor rinks where real players become players. I've asked hundreds and hundreds of real players, why did you become extraordinary? Why did you become better than whatever. And I'll take this, this story then from, from Ernst's week. I asked Peter Forsberg's dad, and it was Peter, and it was another guy that played a little bit in the NHL. His name was Sol- Solomonson. He played one year, I think. And then Niklas Sundström. And they, they are 73 born, 75 borns. And I said to, to Peter's dad, how far from uh, Moro's home ring did you grow up? Oh, it was three, four k's from. So I said, that's where you spend all your time. And and Peter's dad was was a, a coach, uh, first in the junior uh, junior teams and youth teams, and then for the senior teams. And you know, forget that. That's not where Peter became a player. He became a player around the corner at our school. That's where we he was skating with Solomonson and Sundstrom. That's where they became players. And that is the answer. If you really want to give yourself and your kids a chance to be a real player, you better grow up close to a rink. It can be an indoor, it can be an outdoor, but it has to be a place where you can learn how to really play the game from a very early age. And you spend hours and hours and hours and just love the game. That's when you become a player. Not well, by some fancy, fancy programs from the age of 16 to 19. No, you become a player, real player that know how to play the game from much, much earlier than that at your backyard. Well, I certainly agree with you, Anders. Sweden and Canada, so much the same culture and background and that whole attitude of just throw on your skates and get on the ice. For you, donning the three crowns or Trey Kroner has special meaning Please talk about what suiting up to represent Sweden has meant to you in your career. 
well, uh, when I grew up, I had never, I hadn't, there was no NHL hockey. I had never seen an NHL game. I've heard about NHL. The Swedish national team played the amateur, Canadian amateur teams, traveled a little bit of, in late 60s. Uh, our number one, first really superstar Swedish, his name was Sven Johansson Tumba. He went to Boston's training camp and I think he could have made the team, but basically he got a call from the president of the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation. If you sign that contract, you can never play in Europe again because you lose your amateur status. So, and, and Tumba was a entrepreneurial type of guy. So he said, geez, I'm, I'm making more money in Sweden by being Sven Tumba than play for Boston Bruins. Myself, I got, they called me, I was 18 years old. I was very young. I had never even thought of playing for the three crowns. And now the world championship had just been moved to Sweden from Prague because of the, the Russians invading just what they do in Ukraine today, which is very, very, very disturbing, upsetting. They had just invaded Prague, 1968. So the the World Championship 69 was moved to Stockholm. And I had played, I started as a 16-year-old in the top league in Sweden. And the team calls, or the, man, the manager, coach calls me and said, Anders, we're thinking of picking you for the, uh, for the World Championship. I was going to school, my high school. And basically I said, and my parents said, you can't go because you, you have to finish your school. You're, you're behind in your school already. You, and I was probably scared. I was intimidated. I had never even thought that I would be selected for the Swedish Nationals, even if I had, I had been a good player. I was a good player in, 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 in the Junior Nationals and so forth. So I turned them down. I didn't go. Uh, so I played. I made my debut. In the, in the Three Crowns, 1969, as an 18-year-old in Moscow at the Svestia tournament. That was a big thing in Europe. The next youngest player was Tommy Bergman. He was four years older than me. But those were big things. And when we played the World Championship again in Stockholm 1970, one of the highest ever ratings in the history of Sweden, remember, there was only one or two channels at that time, probably the same in Canada. It was that 80% of the population watched the game we played against the Russians here in Stockholm in, in April 1970. So those, that was huge. It was big. And I was by far the youngest player on the team. Do you think that had an impact on, and NHL didn't even exist. There was no television. As I said before, I had seen some highlights from Bobby Hull's Slapshot or Jean Beliveau in Montreal, and then the Canadian national teams that came all kind of amateurs. And, and they, were they impressive? Yeah, they were fine, but it was the Swedish nationals. That was the big thing. Was it some Swedes that could feed themselves from hockey? Yes, it was. Some guys that they were connected with the with with uh, equipment producers, you know, those type of things. But otherwise, there was no pros. Everybody go to work. You, you practice at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. I was a full-time student. I had to, even after this, I had to, I had 15 months in the Swedish uh, army. 
Mm. Because that was for every boy had to go in and do 11 months or 15 months. And I happened to be called on 15 months. So I spent 15 months in the Swedish army before ah. even thinking that I would be a pro. And I, as I saw, said before, first time was when we played the Team Canada 72 on their way to Moscow. And we played them even. That's when I said, yeah, if this is, if this is the best Canada have in terms of team, I'm going to make a living out of this. Yeah, you got the confidence from it. Oh, sure. I, no, not the confidence. I got the knowledge. I Before that, I had no idea. <laughs> well, Anders, you can't talk about Sweden without also mentioning Finland. I want to give a shout out to our mutual good friend, hockey writer Risto Pakarainen, who helped connect us. Of course, Risto is Finnish, but currently living in Sweden. Please explain to our listeners the Finland versus Sweden hockey rivalry. Would you describe it as similar to Canada versus USA? Uh, it's 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 no, it's it's not. It goes back to cultural uh, cultural thing. Uh, Sweden is about ten million people. Finland is five million people. Historically, if you go back, Finland before eighteen. Or two, I think, actually belong to Sweden as part of Sweden. And still, Finland is bilingual, just like Canada is, about 10% of the population on the, the western parts of, of Finland speak Swedish as a native language. And then the Russians came and invaded Russia until the First World War. And that's when Finland became independent. So... I think from a Finnish, and, and the languages are, there's not, I don't understand one word of Finnish. Mm -hmm. And and they, are, some of them understand Swedish because it's bilingual. But it's a situation where Sweden is looked upon as the big brother uh, in Finland, I think. And the Swedes are unfortunately sometimes looking at the Finns as the little brother which is, which is not incorrect, but that's the way it is. So it's a tug of war, a little bit of, of culture also, and total different languages. And in every sport, and especially then hockey, skiing, winter sports, Finland is even more so a winter, winter country than Sweden is, because the southern parts of, of Finland is about level with Stockholm, and and in, that's where you have usually real winters. And south of Stockholm, you don't have real winters anymore. And during the the Second World War, Finland was occupied the, by the Rus by the Germans and the uh, the the Russians. Sweden were kind of neutral, not invaded by the, the Germans. Lots of Finns came to Sweden, and we had a sort of a um, working business culture and working uh, factories, a lot of Finns actually emigrated to Sweden to feed themselves and stayed in Sweden. So you have that type of uh, situation. They were immigrants to Sweden, worked here, uh, had their relatives still in Finland. So it was a little bit of, of big brother, little brother complex and still mm -hmm. is. And I and think at you the did. Same time, I have to say, I played with lots of Finnish guys. We had two in Winnipeg, 
Hexeriranta and Velipeka Catala, the best Finnish guys at the time, were recruited to Winnipeg, just like me and Olf and, and Lars Erik were recruited to Winnipeg. Were they competitive? They were more competitive than, than Swedes. And they still are. And if you talk about Borea, Borea comes from the very north of Sweden, very close to the Finnish border. Lots of people in that area where Borea comes from speaks actually Finnish. Some of that competitive, extreme competitiveness that Borea has and had is reflection also, also on the, the Finnish population and the Finnish play, hockey players. Yeah. Very competitive. Well, certainly when you talk about competitive, nothing gets people more excited than a big game between Finland and Sweden, even today, of course. Uh, those, those are those are heated battles. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. No question. It, it's uh, comparison in Canada. I, I'm not a little bit of, of the same. If you come from Toronto or if you come from Sudbury, Sudbury or if you come from Montreal or from Rimos, Rimouski, a little bit of, of that. They're, they're fucking tougher up north than they are yeah. in the south. That's for sure. Well, Anders, you've been so great with your time. I do want to close with asking you how closely today you follow the NHL. Of course, with the internet and everything, I guess that the six-hour time difference may or may not be a big deal. But how closely do you follow the NHL these days? Oh, God. Today, I can watch every game on television here. Obviously, either live or delayed, whatever, every game. So today, I have every channel there is, uh, except the KHL, the Russian League, that I refuse to watch uh -oh. because of political reasons. Uh, but do I know Toronto, New York, Winnipeg? Damn right, I know them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you... I know them very well, I well... would say. And I know Tampa Bay, obviously, they've been so good the last five years and with Hedman there and some other uh, connections. Do I know the league inside out? No, I don't. But I would say I know it very well. Well, on that note, I have to ask you, as you know, this is our 56th year of seeking a championship in Toronto. They're about to uh, throw the coach out over the side of the ship. Should we hang in? Is Toronto just on the hump of getting over for success, or uh, do we have to make changes here? Oh, no. If, if there's one thing that, and Tampa Bay is probably the most, the one where you should look more than anywhere else in, in, in the National Hockey League. They've had the same coach for the last nine or 10 years. Steve Eisenman had still been there if he hadn't been recruited back to his hometown, uh, I mean, where I think his wife from whatever, he is from Ottawa, but I mean, he lived in Detroit for so many years. Otherwise, he probably would have still be there too. You have to have patience. And Toronto, with all the media attention, and there is a similarity with New York, the two major media teams in, in the National Hockey League, Toronto and New York, where there's so much media, there's so many, uh, there's so many interests, there's so many opinions, there's so much television, there's so much pressure, there's so much of non-existing patience to develop a real team and let the players become the real players and become the real team. 
that's what's lacking in Toronto. If they had in Toronto, if they had, if they had been sitting on the sideline, ninety six, ninety seven, and allowed Cliff Fletcher at that time to be patient, but they were not allowing him, and that's why why he, I mean, among other things, traded Kenny Johnson, and it was some other also forced trades that basically ripped out the their chances of them because the, it was a team that was just on the on the crutch of of becoming a real team and please don't do the same now in Toronto Toronto is just a piece or two away from being real contenders in 32 teams so it's you cannot say that one team is clearly the the favorite to win it but they're one of very few teams that truly have a chance winning it all if they have the patience to keep the management the team management coaches and the team together and they might they might have to look for a short term unbelievable and a little bit of luck when it comes to winning in the playoff of goaltending mm-hmm. because they don't have a goaltender the top five as the one in Tampa, for example, or the ones that usually wins it. If you don't have absolute top-notch goaltending, you probably won't win it. And Toronto probably doesn't have it. But you can find short-term solutions late in the trade seasons where there is a goaltender just happen to be available. He might be 34 years old, past his prime, but still one of those guys that you can really, really trust for a playoff run. And those are the ones you have to be lucky also to pick up those things. Otherwise, they're there. They're very much a contender to win it all. Well, people, you have heard it directly from Anders. We must continue to be patient. We've waited 18 years for them to get through the first round. 2004 was the last time. And I think you're right. We just got to get a little success in the playoffs and we will get there. I want to close with a note. I wouldn't call it a rumor, but you can clarify a story. When I talked to people that I was going to be fortunate enough to speak with you, they said to me to ask you, was there ever a chance back when you first came over that we could have had all four of these tremendous Swedish players, Borja Salming and Inga Hammarström were already with Toronto, you, Anders Hedberg, and Ulf Nielsen were about to come over. Was there any chance or opportunity for all four of you to have been with the Toronto Maple Leafs at the same time? I don't think Ulf could have because he belonged to uh, Buffalo, I think, or Minnesota. No, I think it was Buffalo. Remember, he was we were not drafted, we listed. I was listed for Toronto. And and so, Ulf, I don't think that was, I don't think that was possible. In in my case, as I said, Toronto offered me, me more money than, than in Winnipeg. There's one little thing on that one, though. Ulf, his last world championship, got actually suspended. So he only played one game in the, uh, in the world championship. If he had played that world championship, I would have said, I know Ulf was just on the crutch of, of breaking out. He was a little later developer than myself or Borea. But that would have been his breakout year. And if he would have played that World Championship, Toronto Maple Leaf, I'm sure, would have been very, very interested of 
acquiring his rights. And if that's the case, it would have been a pretty good chance that we end up in Toronto. Well, there you go. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, maybe. But we've heard. <laughs> because what was uh, uh, the, the um, uh, Mac- McNamara was the uh, the head scout. Jim Gregor yeah. was the manager in Toronto, and it was Jerry McNamara that was over and scouting in Europe. But he was at the uh, the World Championship because Ulf was was then he only played one game, and then he was thrown out of the the tournament. Uh, if he had, if he had come there, Ulf would have played his normal game. Him and I would have played together, as I know we were, we were, we were, we were on the same line there for that. We would, he, we would have impressed him. I tell you that, <laughs> and he couldn't have refused to be interested in both me and Ulf. Well, that's quite a story, and of course, you went and have such an incredible career. Anders, again, I want to thank you so much for your time. It was great to hear all your stories, and I wish you a continued success and continued enjoyment of your retirement. And and I thank you very much. And I'm in, I'm still I'm just in love with the game. What a game we're talking about! It is it is personalities, it's athleticism, it is competitive, and it's emotions, and it's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thank and you. To the, to the listeners, we thank you for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast, powered by Henderson Brewing Company. And on behalf of Anders Hedberg, I am Anders Applebaum saying mahalo. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.